You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. New restrictions are now in place for all of the Interior Health Authority, where transmission of the COVID-19 Delta variant remains high in the unvaccinated population. Provincially, we have 663 new infections today. 247 of those cases are in the interior. There is one new death to report. 129 people are in hospital. That's up eight. And 59 of those patients are in ICU. Our active case numbers have now jumped to more than 6,300. And 74.3% of eligible British Columbians, 12 and older, are now fully vaccinated. So, starting at midnight tonight, restrictions that have helped control a COVID-19 surge in the central Okanagan will be applied right across the interior health region. An indoor mask mandate, restrictions on group sizes and uh, other indoor training exercises, and a warning now not to travel to an area that covers 215,000 square kilometers. Paul Johnson reports. The southern interior city of Nelson, along with nearby Creston, now added to the list of places of special concern as BC's Delta variant-driven fourth wave rolls on. We're battling wildfires. We're battling, you know, unprecedented times. We're battling staff shortages. And now we're going backwards on a, on a condition that's been hanging over our head for 18 months. It's a continuation of a pattern that began several weeks ago in the central Okanagan, triggering another mandatory mask order for indoor public spaces in the interior and new limits to both indoor and outdoor gatherings and the complete suspension of high-intensity exercise classes. If we look at the interior, it is qualitatively different uh, where we could see specific events that uh, spread to other areas where um, certain businesses, where a number of staff were affected. So it really is looking at the local situation in the, in the context that we now have where there is high rates of immunization across most areas. And it's those pockets where a community or a neighborhood or a workplace has low rates of immunization that we see the risk. Which is why places like Nelson and Creston are seeing what Dr. Henry describes as very high levels of transmission. And turning around those numbers is likely to happen only through something the vaccine holdouts probably don't want to hear anymore. And while the numbers of Nelson and Creston have gone up, currently the immunization rate in Nelson is 72% and in Creston is 65.4%. It simply has to be higher. Months into the universal availability of free, safe, and effective vaccines, our public health leaders are still having to push the same talking points. But the way back to normal is roll up your sleeve and get the shot already. Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, for more on this, we'll bring in Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, in today's announcement, Health Minister Adrian Dix named Nelson and Creston by name, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of other cities with low vaccination yep. rates in the interior. 
There are indeed, Chris. I've got a list of them here. The provincial, average, provincial vaccination rate for first doses is 83%. Let's see how these interior towns stack up against the provincial average. Uh, Paul in his story mentioned Creston there with 65.2%. With, uh, Williams Lake, also very low numbers. The number on the top there is the number of people in that particular town who have yet to get a single dose. Salmon Arm there on the right, almost 10,000 people have yet to get a single dose of vaccine, which is why the vaccination rates are so low there and which is why we're seeing case numbers spike. Nelson is a particular concern. has got the highest number per capita and overall. And the fear is that some of these smaller hospitals, particularly in the Kootenays, can get overwhelmed with just a slight uptick in, uh, in ICU numbers, which what we're seeing in some of the small town hospitals, which is why the measures we saw announced today were actually going to be enacted. Uh, Sorry, I thought we had a clip from Adrian Dix there. My bad. Uh, no. Keith, we are getting closer and closer uh, to the start of the school year. Many parents mm -hmm. are hesitant about sending their kids back to classrooms. Health officials are hinting today that we could little, uh, learn a little bit more about their plans next week. Yeah, next week's going to be very busy on the COVID front. So on Monday, we're going to get a news conference, I think, with Premier John Horgan and Dr. Bonnie Henry, outlining the beginning of BC's vaccination passport plan. Adrian Dix today is saying, we, while people can't be forced to be vaccinated, they will be barred from participating in certain things. On Tuesday, we're getting the back-to-school plan for K-12, to perhaps for post-secondary as well. Uh, that's going to be featuring Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. I think you can put it in the bank, guys. Bet the farm on the fact that masks wearing, mandatory mask wearing, likely to come back as a condition of going back to school, uh, at least in the K-12 system starting in the fall. That's what the BC Teachers Federation has been pushing for. Mm -hmm. I think they've won that battle. We're going to find out about that on Tuesday. Lots of consultation leading up to that decision for sure. Okay, thanks yeah. very much, Keith. All right, another major letdown for businesses along the Canada-U.S. border and travelers from BC who were hoping to take a road trip south. The U.S. government is extending the border closure for at least one more month, citing the troubling rise in cases of the Delta variant. Richard Zussman reports. Closed at least for another month. We will work together as much as possible to coordinate and make sure things are going well. But every country gets to make its own decisions about how to best keep, Canadian, keep their citizens safe. The U.S. government announcing the Canada-U.S. land border closed for non-essential travel until at least September 21st. This making it much harder for British Columbians to cross-border shop, fill up their gas tanks or attend a Mariners or Seahawks game. Obviously disappointed uh, again. I think there are provisions that could be made around immunized people, fully immunized people being able to more freely move across the border. It's not based on health or science. And uh, when we're allowing people to travel from Canada to the United States by air, it simply does not make sense. While enjoying a football game in Seattle is challenging for Canadians, for businesses in Point Roberts, survival is near impossible. The American community counts on Canadians to shop, pick up packages, and gas up. We're being treated by, better by Canada. Okay, if you don't like us, Joe, give us the Canada. Let us survive. Joe is President Joe Biden, who has heard concerns about the closure from Washington state politicians, all Democrats, from congresswomen to senators to the governor, all asking for a special exemption for Point Roberts, surrounded on three sides by water and one side by B.C. Where are you, Joe? Take a look at us. Your governor did, and he said, do a pilot project yesterday. 
Well, the extension does have an impact on Canadians who want to go south of the border. It could potentially help tourism operators in British Columbia because British Columbians will keep their money at home. It's uh, a very important access point both ways, north and south. And we really rely on each other's economies. So for now, fully vaccinated Americans can come here while Canadians and American border businesses keep waiting. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. BC Hydro now says employees at the Site C Dam will need to show proof of vaccination or provide a negative COVID-19 test in order to go back to work. It comes after yet another outbreak at the dam construction site near Fort St. John. Right now, there are more than 30 positive cases at the site. A statement issued by the Northern Health Authority says a majority of those cases are among unvaccinated workers. BC Hydro says employees will need to show proof of a negative test at least 72 hours before coming to a work site or an approved exemption. We actually took a very cautious approach uh, on the project when the province went to stage three of its restart plan. Uh, we actually kept a lot of the health measures that were already in place. What this order means for us is that we need to reinstitute some existing policies such as mandatory masks across the project and we need to limit the interaction of our workers going into the community. Mask mandates have been in effect at work camps throughout the spike in infections. New guidelines will go into effect in the coming weeks. Even more safety measures are now going to be in place at BC Place Stadium. This comes in the wake of last night's BC Lions game against the Edmonton Elks when the exit strategy for fans came under criticism. Nitu Garcha reports including how this plays into tomorrow's Whitecaps game. Riley in trouble. It was an upset for BC Lions fans with the team losing to the Edmonton Elks in their first home game in nearly two years. Touchdown! And making the loss worse is what happened when the 12,500 fans the team says were in attendance tried to exit the stadium. There was a real crush of people going up the ramp uh, that I was going out of on the uh, west side of the stadium. He snapped this photo and posted it on Twitter where others like Daniel Burke had similar complaints. There was at least 15, at least 15 security personnel standing shoulder to shoulder blocking the east exits. They forced everybody to close quarter march in a herd. This just wasn't in keeping with the way the rest of the event was staged, which I thought was being done pretty responsibly. I don't blame the BC Lions for it. I mean, it, it's it's a facility issue. A statement from the Crown Corporation that owns BC Place says in part, as many guests exited the building at once, it was congested in certain areas of the venue. Going forward, BC Place will ensure there is access to all of our doors at the end of events. There are very, very few people who were wearing masks at all at the game. Only those working at the game were required to wear masks. Among those seen not wearing one, BC's provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, who had this to say on Friday. I did, absolutely, as most people did there, wear a mask on the outsides when we were going into the place and uh, coming back and forth. Especially ahead of Saturday's Vancouver Whitecaps home opener. Our message in regards to exiting the building will always be to exit through your closest gate uh, to your seats and every gate will be open on exit. It's a lesson learned as rising COVID-19 cases across BC are contrasted with some semblance of normal in the city of Vancouver. Neetu Garcha, Global News.
Breaking news now and a surprising development in the case of a woman's body found in Pitt Meadows earlier this week. The Conservation Officer Service is now warning the public to take precautions in that area because the woman might have been killed by an animal. The woman's body was found in a blueberry farm field along Old Dudney Trunk Road near McKechnie Road on Sunday. The COS is working with RCMP and the Coroner's Service to determine whether an animal such as a black bear might be involved. Conservation officers, including predator attack team specialists, remained on site today as the probe continues. The service is asking the public to report any sightings, encounters or aggressive behavior of black bears in that area. Vancouver police are releasing some disturbing dash cam footage showing the suspect in a violent and unprovoked assault. Police say the attack happened around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Friday, August 6th, on West Georgia Street near the art gallery. A panhandler stood in front of a man's car, screaming at the driver, aggressively demanding money. When the 25-year-old driver pulled away, the panhandler threw a bottle through the open car window, hitting the driver in the head. Anyone who can identify the suspect is asked to contact Vancouver police. Now, unfortunately, this bottle struck the driver in the head, caused an injury, and uh, the driver was fortunately able to get away and uh, called police uh, right away. Our officers did respond. However, the suspect had left. We haven't been able to identify the suspect yet. We're very concerned about an incident like this that could happen on a busy street in broad daylight. The newest out-of-control wildfire on Vancouver Island and how it threatens some critical infrastructure and an untapped resource to fight wildfires everywhere. B.C. ranchers are often first on the scene when the flames threaten their livelihoods and they want the province to lean on their unique expertise like they used to. Those stories coming up next on the NewsHour. Vancouver's iconic wooden roller coaster out of commission. Why there are no bone-rattling rides this year coming up on the NewsHour. And someone cared very deeply about this baseball and other sports card collection before it was stolen. Can you help find the owner? That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, on Vancouver Island, the Mount Hayes fire burning outside of Ladysmith has grown significantly since it sparked up on Thursday with homes, an LNG facility, and other infrastructure at risk. The wildfire is now estimated to be about 70 hectares, up significantly in size since it was 20 hectares last night. An evacuation alert has been issued for residents of 20 properties in the North Oyster area, and an order has also been issued for the Bush Creek Fish Hatchery. BC wildfire officials say right now most of it's burning in a southwesterly direction away from any structures, including a storage facility that holds 1.5 billion cubic feet of liquefied natural gas. But the Coastal Fire Center says they are watching it very closely. The Cowichan Valley Regional District has issued an evacuation order for just the one industrial property to the west of the fire, which is a piece of Fortis BC infrastructure there. Uh, that order applies just to their non-essential personnel. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Cooler weather and higher humidity will help the firefight, but there are concerns if the wind shifts. Now, B.C.'s brutal wildfire season has destroyed thousands of hectares of ranch land. And ranchers are making it very clear they're not going to stand by and simply watch it burn. 
The province hasn't exactly encouraged them to join the firefight, but that might be changing. As Paul Johnson shows us, ranchers want greater freedom and responsibility when fire crews can't get there fast enough. A ranching family takes matters into their own hands as the Flat Lake wildfire threatened their property and their livelihood south of Hundred Mile House last month. Both they and the government were fully aware that this was happening in defiance of an evacuation order. And while the government still insists its orders to get out are black and white, ranchers and their advocates say a more nuanced approach is actually in everyone's interest. One of the things that, that they have is, is that lay of the land and that knowing what is actually happening out there. BC Cattlemen's Association boss Kevin Boone says historically the wildfire service relied on ranchers as some of the first responders available. In addition to knowledge and incentive, they frequently own the heavy equipment and water trucks needed in a forest fire. But in the past decade and a half, Boone says, things changed, with the government becoming more bureaucratic and risk-averse, and less tolerant of the DIY response strategy. In order to be a part of the system, uh, it takes a lot of certification and it takes a bunch of pre-qualification. But those are credentials ranchers say are earned through their years on the land. And while the issue has strained relations with Victoria this summer, there are some encouraging signs. Boone says BC's ranchers will now have a voice inside wildfire command centers and won't be prosecuted for fighting new fires provided they communicate. We've been working very closely with the, uh, the ranching uh, community. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth took the lead this summer in scolding British Columbians who defied evacuation orders, a position he's not backing away from. But let's also be clear, evacuation orders are based on the advice of what is safe for people and safe for firefighters. That is always the first priority. It is about protecting people. Boone says he thinks some of this summer's fires could have been contained earlier if ranchers had gotten more clear direction from government. Just to be certain, though, he's not making a case for every would-be hero to chase a wildfire. Only those with deep experience and skin in the game. But the able-bodied and those that have an ability uh, should be able to protect their land. Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, a former Afghan refugee desperate to bring his family here. I don't know what's going to happen next, next minute back in, in the country. His agonizing choice to leave them behind and what happens now that the Taliban are in control. Good evening. Cleared a spun-out truck eastbound at the east end of the Portman Bridge, but the damage is done. Traffic is backed up on Highway 1 right through the Burnaby Lake stretch on the approach. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An unbelievable scene in New York City. Events. The scene outside Kabul's military airport remains chaotic today as thousands try to flee Afghanistan after the takeover by the Taliban. <laughs> Taliban fighters fired into the air to push back the crowds gathered outside the airport. Long lines of people and vehicles wait for an opportunity to get in. 
Taliban checkpoints set up outside the airport are a major cause of the delays. One man says the area around the airport is dangerous. I'm telling to the people, stay in their houses, do not come to this area. It's a very, very crazy situation right now. And um, I hope the situations get better because um, I see the, the kids are dying. It's, it's very terrible. U.S. President Joe Biden says U.S. troops will stay in Afghanistan until all Americans have been airlifted out, even if it means a military presence in the country beyond his August 31st deadline. And as the Taliban tightened their grip on his home country, an Afghan man now living in Canada is pleading for help from the Canadian government to get his remaining family out of Kabul. He crossed into Canada in 2019 and has been working ever since to bring his wife and daughters here. We aren't identifying him over concerns of retaliation against his family. I'm just lost, desperately lost. I don't know what's going to happen next, next minute back in, in the country. It's a helpless feeling, not knowing if you'll see your family again. My greatest fear, uh, being my family killed one day. The Vancouver man's two young daughters, three and six years old, plus his wife, trapped in Kabul. A lot of firing, rockets, you know, AK-47. She's shocked because of too much firing. She just woke up and she's asking, Papa, Papa. She's just hiding herself behind the pillows here and there because she was afraid. Of it. I couldn't sleep for, for till now. I'm always the picture is in, my, in front of me. For years, the 31-year-old father from Kabul, a university professor and human rights activist, was a voice for change in Afghanistan, a fierce critic of the Taliban, who killed his father in 2014, he says. While attending a conference in the U.S. in 2019, his family urged him not to return home because his life was in danger. It was a painful decision, but he ultimately made his way to Canada, where he was granted protected person status. He's been fighting to bring his family here ever since, pleading for help to Immigration Canada. I begged them, I cried to them on the email. I just said, hey, they're going to kill my family. Uh, I may not be a different, I'm same like other human, but due to my activities, uh, they know me, they know my family, they're going to be targeted. Roughly a thousand Afghan refugees have been rescued by the Canadian military. Images of women and children landing in Toronto, fueling hope that his family will soon be gifted the same fate. If uh, I could reach to the Canadian uh, government, especially to the Immigration uh, uh, Canada, to do something to my family and bring them here at least uh, to save my children's life and to have a better life in this country. Ramina Dea, Global News. Still ahead, soothing, stressed out students. Oh, she loves it. The study that proves what we've always suspected about dogs. And a collection of rare baseball and other sports cards and the effort to find the rightful owner. Good evening. The North Shore Bridges just never really recovered after a really busy early afternoon commute. And you've got two lanes north and one south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge and traffic really gridlocked from north and west Vancouver on the approach. From Home to Car Insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the AM7 in the Global Traffic Center.
The federal election campaign is picking up the pace on the prairies with the leader's attention on a variety of issues from a safe return to the workplace, creating more jobs, to a commitment to indigenous communities. Here's Miranda Ann Thistle with the details. In Winnipeg, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau focused on health and safety, promising a 10-day paid sick leave for all federally regulated employees. We're setting the standard for what people deserve. And we'll convene the provinces to talk about how to make sick leave a reality in provincially regulated sectors, too. Also vowing to make schools and workplaces safer through ventilation improvements in the form of funding and a new tax credit for small businesses. But with the humanitarian crisis continuing to unfold in Afghanistan, Trudeau was once again pressed on what his government is doing to help while it's focused on this election. Yes, the situation in Afghanistan on the ground has gotten worse much more quickly than anyone expected. And that's why uh, we are redoubling our efforts to be there to do that work. Also in Winnipeg, Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole with a plan to help Canadians return to the workforce. A Conservative government will pay up to 50% of the salary of new hires for six months when the wage subsidy program ends in October. Again, the issue of conscience rights for healthcare professionals was raised, and the Conservative leader reversed his position from last year when he said he would protect the rights of workers whose beliefs prevented them from providing a service or making a referral. They will have to refer because the rights to access those services exist across the country. And this is about striking a reasonable balance. One province over, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh took his campaign to the Kawasas First Nation, visiting a residential school site in Saskatchewan, where nearly 800 unmarked graves were discovered. We have a commitment, we have a responsibility and an obligation to make sure that we are not just funding the healing, but we are funding communities that are dealing with that trauma, that we are assisting in every way possible to heal that trauma. The New Democrats platform places an emphasis on Indigenous issues, calling for concrete action towards reconciliation. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, new research out of the University of British Columbia's Okanagan campus reveals a simple and effective way to enhance a student's sense of well-being. It's not eating better or exercise, although those do help. But it does involve physical contact. All you need is some well-trained dogs and willing participants. Travis Lowe shows us how it works. You know, you don't need a study to know that a bit of canine companionship can be a great thing. But here at UBC Okanagan, they did one anyway to find out why. And the results, they say, are positively fascinating. We found that how students interact with therapy dogs is really critical to their well-being. The research project was facilitated through UBCO's Spark program, an acronym for building academic retention through canines. We randomly assigned participants to a hands-on condition with dogs, to a session with dogs but with no touch, and then a third session with no dog. Students were asked to rate various well-being metrics such as happiness, stress, homesickness, and loneliness before and after each session. And lo and behold, we found that the students who interacted directly through touch significantly benefited the most. As you see the students sort of petting the dogs, as you see them really getting into those lovely interactions, you just see the big smiles on their faces and it is just amazing to watch. Oh, she loves it. Davis Wiggs was heartbroken recently when his family dog died suddenly 
while he was away at school. It was just really tough for me just because I wasn't able to say goodbye. The UBCO grad credits the sessions with helping to minimize his anxiety. Social anxiety is part of my kind of my mental my mental health and uh, coming here is always just like being able to just interact with the dogs is in itself is like it reduces my anxiety tenfold. And as angst mounts for some students over the return to in-person learning during COVID, Binfet is recommending that UBCO students take advantage of the BARK program. Where they can spend time with therapy dogs and reduce their stress. It's a program, Binfet says, that will benefit immensely from the recent findings. This study really advances both our scientific knowledge and our practice of how we should move forward when you run sessions on campus to support student well-being. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. Oh, could use one of those around here. Just ahead, restaurant staff working for a lot more than tips. Currently we're at $1,000, we've been going a week. What they're doing with the wages they earn instead of spending it on themselves. And hang on tight while Playland's wooden roller coaster is undergoing repairs. How long it'll be out of commission, coming up. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. On the eve of the return of the annual fair at the PE comes word you won't be able to enjoy one of its most iconic rides. A PE spokesperson says the popular wooden roller coaster will remain closed for the remainder of the year as it undergoes some major refurbishments. The PE says the adjustments are not related to a safety issue, but because the overall upgrade is necessary and much less disruptive during the pandemic than when full crowds are expected back next year. The project is expected to be finished by spring of next year and is initially set to cost somewhere between $500,000 and $750,000. All right, let's hope they get some good weather. The, you know, the rumor is it always rains during the PNE and it's off to a, a start that looks a little bit like that right now, Christy. That's right. But actually, for the first day that it opens, it actually isn't going to be too bad. It really is just today. We do have some showers later tomorrow, but overall, it should be a dry day. Look at the video, though, coming out of Lynn Valley today. North Shore, definitely one of the hardest hits today with 16 millimeters of rain. Most of the rest of the lower mainland saw anywhere from just one to about six millimeters of rain. Nonetheless, nice to see some moisture. And we saw some in Lytton as well with up to eight millimeters there. Princeton, a few millimeters. And we certainly have some lightning strikes. But with the cloud, cooler conditions and the rainfall, it's not too bad. Now, as we head into late tomorrow, this is how much rain we'll see. Uh, bulk of it really will be in the Kakuni region from the west all the way into eastern sections. But some of the far southern sections of the uh, Okanagan Valley will receive some, for example, in Asuyas, which is some good news there. Uh, here's a look at that transition into tomorrow with the focus being on the Kootenai region. In the afternoon, it's just a chance of showers, very slight chance really for southern BC. And that's why really tomorrow, for the south coast region is not going to be too bad at all. Bulk of the moisture will be north of Williams Lake with a band of rainfall and embedded in that a number of thunderstorms. Now we are concerned about winds though tomorrow afternoon. Should be light tonight and tomorrow morning but tomorrow afternoon we're expecting the winds to gust once again potentially ranging up to about 40 kilometers an hour. So here's your forecast for the northern regions. Again bulk of these showers and thunderstorms are in the latter part of the day. For southern regions majority of the rainfall for the Kootenai region is in the morning. 
it eases to just a very slight chance in the afternoon. Now we may see a few showers out through the Fraser Valley, but overall tomorrow should be dry until late tomorrow evening. That's when we could see a few showers in through Metro Vancouver, taking us into our Sunday morning. Should be a little drier though later Sunday. So not a bad weekend, and especially we'll round out or we'll start off next week with more sunshine in the forecast. Tonight's central windows weather window is from the Ladysmith area. Of course, they had a, quite a fire uh, ignited yesterday. Thank you to Bob Burgess for sharing that uh, stunning shot. Well, stunning, scary, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always worse at night too when those flames and uh, candling trees are visible, but a spectacular shot nonetheless. Thanks very much, Christy. And of course, we'll be watching that fire and many others throughout our broadcast tonight and into tomorrow. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find the rightful owners of an impressive sports card collection. On April 20th, police say they responded to a call of a suspicious person inside a vacant residence near 145th Street and 106A Avenue. A collection of baseball and hockey cards were seized, very well organized and very well kept, and they are believed to be stolen collector's items. Anyone with more information is being asked to contact Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers as they continue the investigation. And on that note, Major League Baseball has struck a deal with Fanatics to become the exclusive provider of its trading cards. And that means the league will end its partnership with Tops, that's been in place since 1952. The current agreement ends in 2025, which paid the Players Association more than $20 million in licensing fees. The deal with Fanatics is more than 10 times larger and could generate $2 billion by 2045. It's big, big business. And that's a nice segue into Barry DeLay. That's right. I used to have some of those old Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. I did not realize at the time that they would be worth a lot. Although I don't think you could say mine were in mint condition. Maybe the, the corners were, might, might have been that, a little those are, those are the ones you get millions for nowadays, right? Yeah, no kidding, yeah. Uh, well, after all the hype returning to BC Place last night, the Lions were anything but kings of the jungle. Every single person that was on the field, not good enough offensively. Yeah, the offense was offensive, as were other parts of the game. A look back, coming up in sports. Also tonight, a win-win situation. Volunteers cooking up a great deal for the restaurants they work in and for local charities. Before we look ahead to the Whitecaps game tomorrow, let's look back at what happened at BC Place last night. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of buzz about fans getting back in the stands. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have different ideas if they're comfortable with that. That's a, another issue. Thanks, Chris. It uh, had been about 22 months between games at BC Place for the Lions, but they finally got back in their den last night to play their home opener against the Edmonton Elks. They were only allowed about 50% capacity, so just over 12,000 fans got to watch live football again. You would think that would pump up the Lions, but they looked sleepy in a 21-16 loss to the Elks. The fans were back in the stands, but unfortunately the Lions didn't give them a whole lot to cheer about. BC's offense was disjointed and mostly unproductive. The Lions put up just 184 total yards and could muster just one touchdown as they continued to struggle to put points on the board. Every single person that was on the field not good enough offensively. You know, I just felt like um, 
Really, from the first snap of the game, it seemed like we just didn't match the intensity that Edmonton was bringing. You know, the frustrating part is that we're certainly capable of it. You know, that was not by a long shot our best football, but, um, you know, nobody cares about that. It's a game day. you got to bring your best, and, and we didn't, so that's uh, clearly why we got the loss. And we got to put the ball in the end zone. We got to finish when we get up there. And uh, I think that's our biggest thing, just score when we have the opportunities. Harris to the end zone. Touchdown! And the Lions defense that was so impressive the previous game and a half got run over by an Edmonton team that had really done nothing offensively in their first two games. The Elks weren't spectacular, but they took advantage of BC mistakes. And with the game on the line late in the fourth, literally ran the ball down the Lions' throats to seal the victory. That last drive, we could have got a stop and got off the field. But for me, I mean, that one drive doesn't define the game. I mean, penalties... Being smart, knowing down in distance is just a lot of small things killed us tonight. And uh, that was just added to it. The last drive just added to it. It's pretty much summed up how the whole night went. It wasn't the kind of first impression the Lions wanted to make on their fan base. One they were trying to grow under new ownership. You know, pretty, pretty emotional to get back in here. It's been a long time for the Lions and, you know, my first uh first game in here so um you know disappointed we couldn't get it done but you know we gotta we gotta do our part and, and win football games and keep uh you know keep keep having this be a fun place to be and keep getting good crowds well now it's the white white caps turn to play in front of their fans it'll be the first time since their season opener last february 29th nearly 18 months the white caps have played an astounding 32 straight mls games away from bc place it has been a physical and emotional grind but the moment has finally arrived and the players can't wait for tomorrow night's seven o'clock kickoff against lafc our fans are going to give us a little push when you know when we're down or even when we're up to give us an extra boost to get the next goal um fans play such an important role in this game they make the game and, and we're so excited to be back at this place yeah, everyone's buzzing. There's a whole, there's a buzz um, all around the place. Yeah, as new boys, we're we're looking forward to to going there for the first time and playing in front of the fans. Us playing home with our fans has to be a boost for us to press more, for us to attack more, for us to be more vertical. All of that has to come and could come also from the fans. All right, Women's World Hockey Championships from Calgary. Yes, in August. It was supposed to be played in the spring in Halifax, but COVID changed those plans. Canada, Finland in their opener. Finns jumped on a very young and nervous Canadian roster. This power play goal made it 2-0 Finns after one, but Canada got two quick ones in the second, 20 seconds apart. Marie-Philippe Poulain with the wrister ties it 2-2 after two. Third period, Canada takes its first lead. Brianne Jenner... Nice little uh, Sedin-like redirect here on the shot pass. Top shelf, 3-2 Canada. Finns tied it, but Canada got it back just seconds later. Sarah Fillier from the slot. That's the game winner. Got an empty netter. Canada wins the opener 5-3. Canadian Elite Basketball Final Four. Fraser Valley Bandits taking on Niagara River. Sudden death semi today in Edmonton. Bandits were down 14 at one point, but Malcolm Duvivier hits the three to tie it. They played the Elam ending, so first one to 84 wins. Fraser Valley had a chance and missed, and it's Philip Scrub, the national team veteran from Richmond, who breaks Bandit Hearts 80-42 the final, so the Bandits are done. Niagara moves on to the final. And we got some tennis from Cincinnati, quarterfinal. Canada's Felix Auger-Aliassime taking on second seed Stepanos Tsitsipas of Greece. It was all Tsitsipas' first set. 
kind of rocking the Bjorn Borg look there. He dominated, but Felix fought off two match points. Tsitsipas thought he won. He thought that was out, but look how close that was. Felix won the set thanks to this service winner, so they play on, but it uh, turned into be a bit of a Greek tragedy for Felix in the third. Tsitsipas turned up the level. How about that screaming forehand winner there? And Tsitsipas takes the third set, 6-3, and he's on to the semifinals. Blue Jays back at Rogers Center after a tough three and six road trip. Need to get a win streak going. They've slipped four and a half back in the wild card. This helps. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. did not homer on the road trip, but first game back, clubs a solo shot. They're 1-1 in the 10th. Jays have missed a lot of opportunity as they go to extra innings. And second round of the Northern Trust from New York, first FedEx Cup playoff tournament. This is bizarre. Hideki Matsuyama's drive bounces off the cart path, and on the second one, somehow goes underneath a fan's shirt. And then, there he is. That older guy in the hat, right there. And the ball will bounce out, and Hideki had to play it. The guy ended up with a souvenir, Hideki ended up with a bogey. Spaniard John Rahm is the leader. I'd never seen anything like that before. Great approach through 36. Uh, or rather, he's the leader through 36. Great approach here, Rahm at 12 under. Uh, Adam Hadwin, Roger Sloan. Sloan was so great last week, burnt out, missed the cut, so his season is over. But uh, Corey Connors and Mackenzie Hughes will take Canadian colors into the weekend. There you go. Someone to watch. All right. Beyond the best. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Appreciate it. Still to come, Seashell locals tired of their local restaurants closing down. Step up to keep them open. That's next. No modern jazz. No jazz it up. Just the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW. All right, fine. Some long-term care facilities are using music to help ease loneliness brought on by the pandemic. There's a little Elvis for you. After months of pandemic isolation, Getting seniors active again has been a top priority. The pandemic made it hard to find stimulating tasks for many residents. So a charity called Rick's Heart Foundation has stepped in, allowing seniors to live a passion alone in their rooms or together in small groups like this one. They're supplying tablets with open-ended Spotify accounts so seniors can sing along again as long as they know how to operate them. What that does, different to the old-fashioned CD ghetto blocks that we used to do, is the CDs were breaking, they were scratching, uh, you had to keep pushing play, or the care staff and the nurses every 45 minutes would have to change the CDs again. And as you know, we're going through a pandemic, everybody was all hands on deck, and sometimes music wasn't the top of the priority. The care home says the music program has been a great success, the charity hopes to expand the program to 100 senior centers. And as businesses emerge from the pandemic, many say they're having a hard time finding workers. The shortage is hitting small business and restaurants particularly hard. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, seniors in Seashelt are stepping in to help out. The lunch rush at Pickles Burger Bar is intense. The small staff can barely keep up with the crush of orders. In order to stay open and stay ahead, owner Tanya Lepanski has brought in some unique help. Okay, the whole order is a single 
and a chicken burger. Not a new employee, but a volunteer. I would be completely screwed if I did not have that. Coasters helping coasters was an idea hatched at a weekend barbecue. A group of mostly retired friends fed up with the frequent closures of their favorite restaurants. The group figured they could help fill a gap. They don't get paid. Restaurant owners instead donate the hourly wage to charity. The group started with a pool of nine volunteers. This week they're up to 22. We've all done a few shifts now and we can see they desperately need help and you know whether it's in the kitchen or uh, at the front or you know delivery driving whatever it is they need we, we, we don't need the money and they need the money so we're happy to help there were some insurance hurdles to clear and the question of not paying for labor has come up but according to the provincial government as long as laid off employees are given the opportunity to return to work first and the restaurant is actively in the process of hiring there isn't a problem using this model to staff on a temporary basis. Critics have argued the volunteers are taking jobs away from young people, but there are so many vacancies, there just aren't enough people to fill them all. What we have here, especially this summer, is we've got a shortage of people, whether it's in the food service, or the hospital, uh, we were talking about the pharmacies and the vets are all short of people. And I think we see that especially this year because of uh, tourism. But it's going to go much further than just this summer. The Sunshine Coast, hardly unique in this economy. Tourist destinations across BC are facing the same kinds of labour shortages. Coasters, helping coasters believe this is a model that could work on a short-term basis anywhere. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And the sharp-eyed viewer will have noticed former broadcaster, semi-retired now, Brian Coxford, one of our great reporters in that story. Looking young. Looking very young, yeah. doing very well out there, and well done to coasters helping coasters for sure. All right, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure. So we are still expecting a fair amount of cloud tomorrow, especially tomorrow morning. But overall, it should be a dry day until the evening hours when the showers start to push back in. And we still do have a chance of showers in the forecast for Sunday. All right. Well, we know how much we need it in some areas, too. So enjoy the weekend, everybody. We'll see you back here on Monday.